you are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Chicago Bears seventh round pick Arlington Hambright has a first round name and a lot of intriguing traits that made him a worthy developmental pick for the offensive line. Welcome back for another episode of the Locked On Bears podcast brought to you by Built Bar. I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I cover the Chicago Bears for Bears Wire. I'm here to bring you your daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. Today we're looking at the offensive lineman out of Colorado, one of two taken in that seventh round as we finish up going through these Bears draft picks. And then we'll be joined by James Yarko and David Harrison from Locked On Buccaneers to find out what we can expect from Tampa Tom when it comes to the Bears' first primetime matchup next season in Week 5 on Thursday night. A lot of fans were expecting, or at least hoping, that Ryan Pace would use an earlier draft pick to help out this Bears offensive line, but instead he waited to the seventh round where he double-dipped, and one of those two men, Arlington Hambright, definitely has one of the best names in the draft. It sounds like a Lord of the Rings character or some sort of royal family member. He's the, he's the Duke of Sussex, Arlington Hambright, Sir Arlington Hambright III. It's it's really excellent, and I think he'll be a, a fun addition to this Chicago Bears roster at the very least. But from a, a draft standpoint and from a talent standpoint, not a guy I knew anything about going into the NFL draft. A very much under-the-radar prospect coming from Colorado, but it was only one season at Colorado as sort of his grad transfer season. Before that, he had spent a year at Oklahoma State, really two years, but one was a redshirt because he had come from community college before that, I believe, in Kansas. So not a lot of Division One high-level experience. All of it had come at left tackle, but he does have a little bit of an interesting story, and it does leave perhaps a little bit more untapped potential in that regard in the sense that we don't know what exactly Arlington Hambright can still become. He isn't. He certainly hasn't peaked at any point yet and seems to still be a player ascending on the rise, especially when you look at the way he was able to perform, at least at his pro day. He was not an invite at the NFL Combine, but was clocked in at a 495 40-yard dash at over 305 pounds. I think it was six, just under 6'4", 307, with a, a sub-5 40-yard dash, 29 reps on the bench press. He didn't do the three-cone or the short shuttle, but did a, an okay broad and vertical jump for a big offensive lineman. Doesn't quite have the offensive tackle arm length that we typically think of at 32 and 5 eighths inches. That's why he projects a little bit more inside at guard, at least from what the Bears have been saying. I think he performed well enough at left tackle that I'd be willing to try him out at tackle and let him fail at tackle before I move him inside to guard. But regardless, it sounds like the Bears think guard is both the immediate and long-term future for him. But his movement skills and some of that strength, that combination of sort of mobility and power is what made him intriguing enough to use one of these seventh round picks on and not try and wait and land him as an undrafted free agent. And when you hear the Bears scout David Williams talk about Arlington Hambright a little bit as a prospect, you can kind of hear how he fell in love with him during this draft process and why he pounded the table for the Bears to take him. Really, when you look in the late round of the draft at these offensive linemen, you're looking for upside and traits. And 
Obviously, there's a lot more to an offensive lineman than how fast they run, but looking for an athletic player that has a lot of room for growth. He's a former defensive lineman, a former three technique that transferred to Oklahoma State, played left tackle, then transferred to Colorado and played left tackle. So he's someone that has a lot of developmental upside and he has the prerequisite athleticism and bend that we're looking for in especially a zone heavy scheme. His dimensions, if you look at the rest of the league, are probably a little bit closer to guard, but I think the, the nice thing with Arlington is that he is comfortable playing on an island at tackle, but has that, that body type. When you, when you see him on the hoof, he looks more like a guard. It's just an interesting story. He came, came out of high school, he was 240 pounds, didn't get highly mm. recruited, went to JUCO, he was playing defensive lineman, they switched him. So he, you know, a guy like that, you want to see how he's grown from when he was at Oklahoma State to Colorado. And just seeing him, it's just the athleticism, seeing his, his first step, his bend, his ability to pull in space, his ability to reach or cut off. He's, he's a very good athlete that, you know, still has a lot of room to grow as far as his hand use and, and his technique. Arlington's a very extroverted, personable guy for an offensive lineman. He's, he, he's very fun to talk to. He's a guy that when he walks in a room, you feel him, feel his presence, his smile, and he's very engaging. I think he can relate to a bunch of different types of personalities in the, in the room. And as far as football intelligence, he's someone that I think um, he has the aptitude. That's what you look for. Is he, does he have the aptitude and does he have the work ethic? Now, knowledge base, he's going to be still having room for improvement because of his background, because he's a junior college guy because he was playing on the other side of the ball, but he is going to be someone that I think Coach Castillo is going to love working with. Again, that is Chicago Bears area scout David Williams talking to Jeff Joniak on a video from the Chicago Bears official website. And, and like, like you mentioned, all, all of the traits seem to be there. We've seen Ryan Pace have success with a seventh-round offensive tackle-type prospect before with Charles Leno. We've also seen him miss on some late-round offensive tackles as well, Tyle Fabulige and James Morgan from Cutstown never quite panned out the way they wanted. So expectations should be low for a developmental seventh round pick, but the logic is definitely there and the name is definitely worth giving that draft pick for. So I'm excited to see if Arlington Hambright can become something sometime down the line for the Bears. And if not, all it was was a seventh round pick. No harm done. I like to think that's maybe the most Arlington Hambright analysis any Bears podcast has done so far, but I certainly could be wrong. I haven't listened to them all, but I hope hope we're able to learn a little bit more about some of these late round Bears draft picks. And I'm excited to learn a little bit more about what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers should be expecting this season from Tom Brady and Bruce Arians next on Locked On Bears. If you want to be big and strong like Arlington Hambright, then you need to start eating Built Bars, the best tasting protein bar on the market. I guarantee it. You know, it's a protein bar, but it really does taste like a candy bar. And it's got that candy bar consistency where it's, you know, it's covered in chocolate. It's a little bit chewy. It's a little bit sweet, but not candy bar sweet. And I think it really strikes that balance perfectly on top of everything else good inside. Most of the flavors have at least 15 grams of protein. They're under 150 calories, only three or four grams of sugar, three or four grams of carbs. There's some good fiber in there as well. So not only is it delicious, but it is really good for you. So whatever your health goals are, Built Bar can help you get there. And to help you get Built Bars, you can go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code 
Locked On for $10 off your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code Locked On for $10 off your first order. Welcome into this Locked On Podcast Network crossover podcast. I am Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears, joined by James Yarko and David Harrison from Locked On Buccaneers. And I'm interested to find out a little bit more about these two teams matching up in particular. I think they're going to be a fun Thursday night matchup fairly early in the season. But it was two teams that had quarterback changes in the works this offseason and two teams that went in very different directions with their formerly early drafted quarterback. So that's where I want to start. Uh, could you guys take me through sort of how the Buccaneers handled this? I mean, obviously everybody knows to sign Tom Brady and, and let Jameis Winston go, but how did they how did they handle, you know, contingency plans there? I mean, was it sort of Tom Brady or bust? I mean, was Winston's feelings hurt when they pursued Brady? Was there a sense of a backup plan or, or what, I mean, what? How did they sort of go about this from the beginning to actually landing Brady in terms of a, a philosophy? So I'll kind of start with like the whole Jameis Winston aspect of it. Uh, it'll be, I'll give you the quick version. Um, I think really entering into the season, I mean, Bruce Arians, when he got hired by the Buccaneers, made it very clear that part of the reason he took the job with Tampa was there were there were many, but one of them was Jameis. He wanted to work with Jameis Winston. He felt like Jameis had a unique set of skills and just needed some refinement and some, you know, some some honing in of that that aggression and that that you know that fighting spirit that Jameis has. And then, you know, actually going through the season, obviously, you know, every I think everybody that takes a job or starts a job, you know, when you're a new kid at school, new guy on the works in the workspace or whatever, you have kind of an expectation and then things develop as they go. Uh, I think the last four games there really kind of sealed the fate of Jameis Winston with the Buccaneers. Uh, that last game really, I mean, ending ending the season on a pick six, losing at home in overtime to a division rival really just has to kind of uh, punch you in the gut. And then the fact that that loss sends you to seven and nine for the season, Bruce Arians' first uh, losing record, first year with nine losses as a head coach in his career. So, I mean, all that stuff just kind of culminating, led to the Buccaneers at least entertaining the thought that maybe there's a better option out there. And then, of course, as the free agent market starts to get set, guys like Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater are coming available. And, you know, the feeling or the reports coming out of uh, the Buccaneers headquarters, that it was Tom, Teddy Bridgewater, and then Jameis. So Jameis was never just cast aside and thrown off, you know, to the side of the road to be forgotten. It's just they knew or they felt like there were some better options that might be able to execute this offense better, lead this team better, uh, and be the better quarterback for this current roster. Uh, and then when Tom, you know, voiced his interest in coming to Tampa, that pretty much sealed that deal. So, James, when I look at this Buccaneers offense, I know, you know, Tom Brady last year wasn't quite the same level of Tom Brady. And there's some question about his supporting cast in New England. Certainly receivers an issue there. Not an issue in, in that regard in Tampa Bay. But in terms of like that offensive line and now adding Rob Gronkowski into the tight end group. And I know they used a couple draft picks at running back. How do you feel about the supporting cast, especially I think on that offensive line in terms of being able to give him that protection. They've got some a lot of recent draft picks, it seems, invested up front. Are, are those guys at the point now where it feels like Tom should be pretty well upright, or, or what's your expectation there for supporting cast? Yeah, I think they did a good job of, of addressing the biggest weakness along the offensive line, and they took somebody who has experience on both ends of the offensive line. So if you see that Donovan Smith is starting to slip a little bit or, you know, not performing up to the level that 
that Bruce wants, or especially Tom Brady wants, you know, they have somebody who's athletic enough and experienced to be able to move over to that left side, which may come into play, you know, looking way ahead to 2021 and, and the ability to get out from Donovan Smith's contract without any dead money. And, you know, I, I know there's kind of, um, the idea that Tom Brady has fallen off a little bit. And, you know, I had gone back and I had watched some games from last season and, you know, even late into the year, weeks 14, 15, 16, you know, his arm strength looked perfectly fine. It, it, there was a big problem with his supporting cast in New England. And, you know, you've heard Clyde Christensen go on uh, Pat McAfee show. Bruce Arians was the same way in, in multiple interviews saying that they – the arm that they saw in Tom Brady in 2019 is an arm that can get every throw made in this offense. And I don't think they're going to sign him if they don't truly believe that. I think it's kind of more than lip service or, or coach speak at this point, because if they look at him and they say, you know what, he can't make all the throws that we need him to throw. You know, that's when they go to that, you know, second plan or, or third plan you know, whatever door they want to look behind as, as they like to keep phrasing it. But yeah, you take a look at the, the offensive line, which gets a bad rap, but actually played, you know, pretty, pretty well last year. They're, they weren't world beaters by any means, but they were better than the Patriots offensive line by a lot of the metrics used by analytic writers and, and grading systems and however you want to look at it. They go out and they, they address running back. They're able to get someone to come in and compliment Ronald Jones this is the best receiving core, including tight ends, that Tom Brady has ever played with, ever, in 20 years of football. And you're talking about, you know, he's played with Randy Moss, and, and he's played with Wes Welker and, and Julian Edelman and Troy Brown and, you know, the Chad Ochocinco, even though he was kind of on the downtick. But you take a look at, at the greatest receivers through 20 years that Tom Brady has ever played with, you could – pick them off of each team and stack them together. And they're not as good as this unit in Tampa Bay with Evans, Godwin, Gronk, OJ, Brait. They got Tyler Johnson coming in. You have Justin Watson and Scotty Miller that made some decent plays in their own right last year. It's it's quite an incredible group. So you don't need Tom Brady to go out there and and, and get six seconds to go back in the pocket and and bomb the ball 55 yards in the air, he can take these 10, 15-yard passes and just march all the way down the field because the intelligence and the decision-making is what's really going to make the difference for this team versus all those turnovers they had last year. When I look across this roster, I see an interesting mix of young and old. Like It feels like there's a lot of guys on sort of the opposite sides of that spectrum and not a lot of like middle of the road age-wise veterans. I mean, they're, they're sprinkled in there, but, you know, you got some of the aging veterans on defense, you know, Dominican Sue, JPP, Levante David. You got a lot of recent draft picks in that secondary that are all playing on their rookie contract. And even, you know, offensively, of course, Brady and Gronk on the older end, but some of those offensive linemen and running backs, like we talked about, being a little bit younger. I, I guess, David, circling back to you, it, how do you sort of feel like this team is, is set up from a, a long-term standpoint? Obviously, very much all in on winning now with Tom Brady and the whole quarterback. But as far as the roster construction as a whole, do you do you think they have the right balance of young and old or are they too strong in one side or the other? Uh, I'd say in the front seven, I mean, when you're looking at the future, the front seven is going to need an, an injection of youth, you know, very, very soon. Talking about as soon as next year, you might look at the Buccaneers, go after an edge defender, or if there's a top defensive lineman on the board, they may go after a guy like that to replace Ndamukong Sue. Uh, but that was, 
you know, the, the priority coming to the offseason for Bruce Arians and Jason Light was bringing back that defense as intact as possible. And they were able to do that all the way down to uh, Andrew Adams, a free, you know, free safety who joined the Buccaneers later in the season, uh, missed most of missed training camp and was able to fill in as a starter for most of the season pretty well. They even brought him back on a one year deal despite going into the draft and then drafting Antoine Winfield Jr. So, you know, when you when you look at the entirety of the unit, the secondary is very young. Uh, looks like it's got some raw talent, and that talent can develop into veteran, you know, veteran talent and get that leadership experience among the group. Then there will be a really strong unit. But eventually, you're going to have to pay one or two, and then let one or two of them walk. But on the front line, you've got Indomitian Sue, who back on a one year deal, probably not coming back next year, may not even be in the NFL next year, depending on how he decides his career is going to go. JPP comes back on a two year deal. That's probably the end of his run. Shaquille Barrett, we all kind of assume that as long as he can come into 2020 and repeat his, his performance, he's probably getting a long-term deal. Levante David's going to be a question mark going into next year because as an interior linebacker, as just kind of a linebacker, you can do a little bit of everything. Buccaneers fans love him, but from an organizational standpoint, are you going to pay him, pay Shaq, and you've got Devin White in there who uh, had a really great rookie year, or are you going to pay one of the two, let one of the two walk, and then address it in the draft? So, They've got a good nucleus. They've got a good setup to win now and potentially win next year, uh, you know, three, four years down the road. That's something that Buccaneers fans have kind of been worried about because especially with all the Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, it's like, okay, that's great for 2020, great for 2021. But what about 2022, 2023? Well, mo- pretty much most of us have kind of stood on platform of saying Bruce Arians probably not going to be in the NFL anymore in 2022, 2023 timeframe. So he really doesn't care. Jason Light. You know, there's already been people calling for his job uh, leading into this offseason before he had Tom Brady. So if he gets Tom Brady, gets a couple playoff appearances, maybe gets Super Bowl championship, then it gives him the job or it gives him the opportunity to try to fix things in 2022 when they lose all that veteran talent. Uh, but for right now, they look good for the future. They're going to land some draft picks, get, get, get creative with the cap, which fortunately enough, they're pretty good at doing. Uh, but I think they're pretty well set up for the future as well, as long as they can plug those holes as they open up. You know, they'll they'll just, you know, get two years out of Brady and then get a very angry Rodgers out of Green Bay here in a couple of seasons. And then they'll, you know, utilize him for a couple of Super Bowl runs. I don't think you'd hear too many Bears fans complaining about that. I mean, anything to get him out of the division, certainly. Uh, one, one last thing I wanted to hit, in terms of like expectations for 2020, I mean, obviously when you add Tom Brady, the word Super Bowl is going to be, at the beginning of most sentences about this team, but like, is it is it fair to expect this team to jump from seven and nine to say, you know, twelve and four, thirteen and three, and say, you know, Super Bowl or bust? Or if they don't win a Super Bowl, is this season considered a disappointment? Or, or how far do they have to go in order to sort of feel like okay, twenty twenty was a success? Bare minimum, you're talking postseason. Uh, I don't think it's Super Bowl or bust. But they need to get into the postseason and they need to, you know, make a splash. Yeah, if that means winning in the first round and then maybe losing in the divisional, this is a team that hasn't made the postseason since 2007. So is it realistic to see them jump, you know, four, five, six wins over last year? I absolutely think that's fair. You go back and you look at how many games the Buccaneers lost by one score. And in how many turnovers Jameis Winston had in those games, this was a playoff team last year. They should have been there at 10 and six. So when you, when you take a look at the production that they had and eliminating a lot of the self-inflicted wounds by bringing in someone like Tom Brady, then you're really looking at, you know, it's a 
two to three win increase over what they should have already been. And I don't think that's that's too big of a leap. They have a, a ridiculously difficult division that they have to compete in. And David and I have said it numerous times on our show that the the road to the playoffs is more difficult in the NFC, but the road to the Super Bowl is more difficult in the AFC. It seems like there's so many of these teams in the NFC that are all clumped together and only a few separate themselves from the pack, whereas the Ravens and the Chiefs are just leaps and bounds ahead of the other teams in the AFC. So just get into the dance and then see where where things go from there. But you take this roster with the intelligence, the experience, and the skill that Tom Brady has, and a Super Bowl is absolutely within – you know, the possibility of the of the end of this season, it's a matter of getting through the 49ers and getting through the Saints as we look at these teams on paper heading into 2020. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, playoffs is the expectation coming into 2020 when you add a guy like Tom Brady and on a roster that, like James said, was already by and large considered a playoff roster to begin with. They just didn't make enough plays or, you know, secure the ball enough on one end uh, to, to get them into the dance. And you know, once you're in the playoffs, you're a Super Bowl contender. As far as I'm concerned, that's what a Super Bowl contender is, is someone who's playing in January, and the Buccaneers could definitely be that. I think something sneaky right now, and obviously we'll have to see how the season develops, but uh, the NFC West, I think, has become a, a, a very contentious division very quickly. They've, already been a, they've always been a competitive division, but I, I almost kind of look at the NFC West as almost maybe being like an SEC type of uh, situation where they might beat each other up so much over the course of the season that by the time they all get to the playoffs, whichever teams of them, uh, get into the playoffs, they may be so banged up from from their own division schedule that they're not even going to have any juice left. Uh, so that's something that could definitely, you know, Im- influence things. But facing the AFC West is going to be tough. The NFC North, I think, you know, by and large, obviously we'll get into that a little bit, but I think by and large, the the opinion of the NFC North is there's a very, a very top shelf, you know, uh, shelf or level of talent, and then there's kind of a drop-off as you get towards the bottom of the division. So if that helps a team like like the Buccaneers and Tom Brady – or the Saints get in and, and get in healthy, then, uh, you know, that'll obviously be advantageous. Yeah, it's all setting up for, I think, what's going to be a really fun Thursday night game in week five in Chicago versus these Bears and these Buccaneers. And I appreciate you guys doing this. It's always fun to kind of cross over with the network and get some, you know, more uh, localized expertise on these teams that uh, we just don't quite get from the outsider's perspective. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you, brother. Thanks again to James Yarko and David Harrison for joining us on the podcast today. If you enjoyed our conversation, make sure you subscribe to keep up with all of our daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. Tomorrow we'll be joined by Bill Rossetti from Locked on Panthers to kind of figure out not only what the Panthers are doing with Matt Rule and Teddy Bridgewater moving forward, but also why Cam Newton is still a free agent and what we can sort of expect when the Bears and Panthers play in week six as far as how good can the Panthers realistically be with all these new pieces trying to come together in year one. So we'll have a good discussion that way. We'll also keep looking through the rest of these Chicago Bears draft picks and kind of finally finish out with the last of the two seventh round offensive linemen with the difficult to pronounce names, Lacavius Simmons out of Tennessee State. We'll hear from a Bears scout on him as well and, and go through some of his background and what his future might look like in Chicago as well. So I hope you will join us again tomorrow. I hope you'll keep tuning in all off-season long. I hope it's given you a little bit of a, an escape and a relief from everything else going on in the world, especially with no sports on the television. I hope this kind of Bears talk can just help give you a little bit of a boost to get through your day and, at the very least, give you another reason 
to bear down. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.